Turn your Bibles to the book of uh, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles happens to be right after 1 Chronicles. That's convenient, isn't it? 2 Chronicles chapter 31. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. We're looking at the life of Hezekiah. That's what we've been studying the first four weeks in our study. So we come to the fifth week, and it's still all about the spiritual. He's going to have some wars to fight, but if your worship's not straightened out, you're not going to be very successful in the wars. You've got to have the spiritual straightened out, and that's what Hezekiah has been dealing with. We'll read just a couple of verses, a few verses here, at the beginning of chapter 31, and then we'll get into the message, and we trust we'll be able to cover the entire chapter. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they were utterly destroyed they had utterly destroyed them all then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession into their own cities And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. He appointed also the king's portion of his substance for the burnt offerings to wit for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, and for the new moons, and for the set feast, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn and wine and oil and honey. And of all the increase of the field... And the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray the Spirit of God would teach us some things, challenge our hearts tonight to return to the old paths, to be what God has always intended his people to be, standing by the word of God and walking in obedience to the word of God with hearts full of love for our God. Have your way now in every life, and Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I remember as we cover this man, Hezekiah, he becomes king of the southern kingdom. There are two kingdoms. There's the southern kingdom, which is made up of Judah and Benjamin, and then the northern kingdom of the northern ten tribes of Israel. For the first 40 years, they were under King Saul, the entire, all of the promised land, And then for the second time, the second king was David. He reigned for 40 years. Third king was Solomon. He reigned for 40 years. Solomon got off to a great start. He built the temple. He did things that were right. But then he openly disobeyed the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God made it very plain that the kings were not to multiply wives unto themselves, and they were also not to multiply horses to themselves. I'm not sure what the connection of those two things are. However, uh, he did that, and as a result, his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, and God pronounced a judgment that the kingdom was going to be divided 
uh, under the next king, which would be Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And that happened in the very beginning of Rehoboam's uh, reign. And the northern kingdom went off under a man by the name of Jeroboam, and he set up his own temple uh, up in the mount, his own altar. He didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem. Now, in the northern kingdom, they ended up in their history that went until about uh, 726, 725 B.C. Uh, the northern kingdom had 19 kings. It is said of every one of those kings that they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. The southern kingdom lasted about 120 years, 140 years longer, but it was also said of their of 10 of their 19 kings, they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. I believe the reason that they lasted longer than the northern kingdom was because there were nine kings that came along, of which Hezekiah was one, of whom it is said that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But there is something said about Hezekiah that's different from even the other eight kings that did right in the sight of the Lord. For he tells us that there was no king like him before him, and there was no king like him after him. And one of the things that makes it so amazing that Hezekiah would start out so dedicated to the Lord was that his father had done that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He had brought in false altars around the city and brought abominable things into the temple. The priests were no longer carrying on their sacrifices like they had carried them on. And when Hezekiah takes over in the very first month of his reign, he calls for the temple to be clean and to be sanctified. And then he gets the priest busy doing that work. And then he gets uh, those who are going to have a part in the sacrifices and the Levites busy getting everything ready for worship. They have many sacrifices that they do to God, including the burnt offerings. And then they schedule their first Passover. Now, because the cleaning of the temple took, went beyond the time of the normal Passover... They put the Passover off to the second month of his reign. And they even allowed some people who had not time to get right, to get everything out of their life like they should have. Um, they were still allowed to partake of the Passover in the second month. And they meant for a total of 14 days. And they were stirred up. They were so stirred up that if you'll notice in verse 1, after 14 days of renewing their walk with God, cleaning out their lives, cleaning out their worship, the scripture says in verse 1, Now when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and brake the images in pieces and cut down the groves, threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin, and Ephraim also and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, into their own cities. So the first thing we see, once these people have gotten right, is they go about destroying the idols that were around them. Now, we live in a day, of course, of much wickedness and ungodliness, and one of the things that has happened in this nation is that we have a nation that is basically now anti-God, anti-Christ. 
And anybody who stands up for the reality of even a man is a man, a woman's a woman, God created them that way, are shouted down while Christians go silent. It is absolutely amazing to me. Who would have ever thought we would have gotten so ungodly and so wicked that a great portion of our society doesn't even know what a woman is? We've got, we've got a new Supreme Court justice that could not tell the, the senators what a woman is. Here, she is a woman, and she doesn't know what one is. That is absolutely amazing. And now they're even talking about men able to get pregnant so that they no longer talk about a she or a her getting pregnant, but we talk about it could be men getting pregnant too. This is nonsense. I mean, these people have educated themselves beyond their intelligence to believe fairy tales, and yet we hold them as a nation in high esteem. This is unbelievable. Well, when people get right with God, things begin to get renewed. Here they've had 14 days of getting back to the old paths in worship. The temple's been cleansed. The sacrifices, the priesthood has been cleansed. The people have gotten right with God. They've rededicated themselves to the Lord. And when they go out, their first order of business is to straighten out the land. They go through Judah and Benjamin destroying every idol that they could find. And then they go up through Israel. Now, the amazing thing about Israel, the northern kingdom was the fact that by this time, they are under the rule and reign of the Assyrians. The Assyrians had come in and carried them off, but they carried a number of the Israelites off. Several were left. Uh, Some of those mixed with Assyrians who were brought in to uh, repopulate the land. But they are going through the northern kingdom, and they are destroying the idols that are in the northern kingdom. These people are right with God, and they are demanding that worship be restored to that which is right. I want to say this. I want you to get a hold of this. It does matter what you believe, and it does matter what you practice. If you are right with God, you're not going to go the newfangled ways and bring in all kinds of rock music and smoke and mirrors and all that to try to get people in some kind of religious framework. That's what the prophets of Baal did. That's the kind of show that they put on. When it comes to proper worship of the Lord, as the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If it's not in truth, it is idolatry. And truth is found in God's word. So here these people are, they're going through the land. You remember before they had the Passover, Jerusalem had been riddled with false altars that, uh, that Hezekiah had destroyed. And those false altars had been put up throughout the city by his father, Uh, Ahaz. So here they had cleansed that part of the land, but now after their time of worship, they're on fire for God, and they go out and cleanse up the land themselves. In 2 Kings 18.4, Hezekiah, it is known that he was the leader of all this cleansing that took place. Notice the crowd doing the destruction. This was a crowd who spent the last couple of weeks in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. Many of those had had a part in cleaning up of Jerusalem. 
after two weeks of high spiritual revival, they were in a frame of mind to assault evil. Jesus told us this in Matthew 24 and verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We live in a day where Christians are becoming the silent saints. You remember during the time of Elijah, we know that there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal, but they were silent saints. Elijah didn't know about them. Well, when you get on fire for God, you're not going to be silent any longer. You're going to be standing up for that which is right because it does make a difference the direction that a nation goes. God has brought down nations that have gone off into wickedness. And he will, by the way, continue to do so. Our country is without excuse. We ought to know better. Anyway, the causes of the destruction, first of all, notice in chapter 30, go back there just a moment, and notice verses 7 and 8. He says, And be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. He's reminding them the reason that they had such danger on every hand, the reason that their nation had deteriorated was because they had gotten away from God. And he's saying, don't you be like your fathers were. Now is the time to stand and to turn God's wrath away from his people. Now that is getting back to the old past. You see, sin always produces trouble. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can count on it. If it doesn't trouble you that over a million babies a year are murdered in this nation on the altar of abortion, then there's something wrong with you. They are murdered on the altar of hedonism by the way of abortion that has been done legally. And let me remind you again, the undoing of Roe v. Wade has not outlawed abortion across the land. All they did was rule that that was not a constitutional issue. You find nothing in the Bill of Rights that allows for an abortion to take place. Nothing in the Bill of Rights. All they did was turn the issue back to the states. And right now, there's still almost half the states where they can go to to get an abortion. So it's still going on in our nation. And we've got people who are in power today who are doing what they can to still make it easy to be done and to have the government pay partly for it. It's still going on. But that brings about, with the shedding of innocent blood, it brings about God's wrath upon a nation. And it will continue to happen, the temptation that is provided here. Uh, remember the situation in Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua chapter 24... After Israel had basically conquered the land, they were ready. It was all set up. They've got the land. They've got it divided. They haven't destroyed all the Canaanites in their area yet. They were supposed to. That is supposed to be accomplished. And we have three times 
Joshua tells the people, put away your false gods and serve the Lord. And three times the people answer and they say, we will serve the Lord. They never made a commitment to put away their false gods. So when you get to Judges chapter 2, you find that they're still worshiping their false gods and God was not going to give them victory over the remainder of the land in each of their own areas. He was not going to let them run them off because they had not obeyed God in getting rid of their false idols. You say, I got news for you. When somebody gets sold out to God, their lives change. When somebody gets sold out to God, there are things that they take out of their life because they don't want to displease the Lord. That scares other people. The reality is you take some carnal Christian that doesn't want to take a stand for God and another Christian comes along that, that just stands for righteousness, righteousness in his community, righteousness in his neighborhood. And man, I'll tell you, those wishy-washy carnal Christians, they don't like that. That frightens them. They're afraid the apple cart's about to be turned over and other people are going to think they're some wild-eyed. Isn't it amazing that we think nothing of somebody on a Saturday afternoon taking off their shirt, painting their belly and their chest and their face crimson and white or blue and orange so that they can get, hopefully, a camera to turn on them on national TV where millions of people can see them and they'll scream like wild Indians and we think that that's okay. That's perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But you take some Christian that gets sold out to God, and when you're sold out to God, you get faithful to every service. You get faithful to the house of God, and only COVID or some other sickness keeps you out of it. Amen. I mean, you sing the songs of Zion, you look forward to it, you give like you ought to give, and people say, what's wrong with you? I'll guarantee you there are families here that because you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you are faithful to the house of God, you've got family members that think you're in a cult. Do you get that? You've got family members that think that. And you may have some friends that claim to be believers. And they think, well, why on earth are you going three times a week? And then when revival comes, they really go ballistic that you'd actually be not only there on Sunday, but throughout the week to hear preaching. They can't understand that. They've never reached that level of spirituality. They've never had that taste for the things of God. And they can't understand you being sold out like that. Man, I'll tell you, these people, they are on fire. The completeness of the destruction was not just in their own city, their own nation, but they went up to Israel as well, the northern kingdom. They utterly destroyed all the idols. That brings us about to the delegating of the courses. You get to verse 2 and it says, And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses. Now you say, what on earth is this? What's he talking about here with courses? Back under the rule and reign of King David, In 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and 24, David set up the Levites and the priest by course. There were 24 courses and each one of those courses, and that's what they're called. They're simply called courses. They're the ones who took care of the temple for that week. 
And then the next course would do it the next week. The next course would do it the next week. And they would rotate within the course as to what they would do. We have a New Testament example of that in the book of Luke chapter 1 with Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. He was of the course, the scripture says, of Abiah. And he was serving in the temple when the angel appeared to him and told him that his prayer had been heard. He's going to have a son. And that whole story is found in Luke chapter 1. So it was still going on. But you see, the courses had basically been done away with because of the ungodly kings between David and Hezekiah. But he's wanting to restore worship like it was. It may have been decades and decades ago since any of the courses had done their jobs. But that's no excuse to not return to the old past. We ought to want to get back to the old past. So we have a precedence for it. In this matter of what David had set up, there were 16 courses that were allotted to the descendants of Eliezer. You remember Aaron's first two sons were put to death by God because they offered strange fire on the altar. The second two sons were Eliezer and Ithamar. Eliezer became the next high priest after Aaron. Well, 16 of the courses were allotted to descendants of Eliezer. Eight of the courses were allotted the descendants of Ithamar, both sons of Aaron. Then you've got the prompting of the delegating. Remember that none of these courses had been active for decades, and they're about to set everything up again. Now, here's a lesson for you that'll help you. You say, well, I've been away from God. I, I haven't read, been reading my Bible. I really haven't served the Lord like I used to serve the Lord and it's so hard to get started again, is it really worth it because I'll probably just fail them again? Get started again. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where you were, which is basically what Jesus tells the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 of the book of the Revelation. He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do thy first works. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick from thee. That's all right. You recognize you're not where you were and you feel bad that you've wasted however long you've wasted and just say, bless God, I'm getting back right with God. And I'm going to have the walk with God that I used to have with God. So we see the prompting of the delegating. Uh, and by the way, this all comes through that emotional excitement of what had taken place during the time of the Passover that they had celebrated. The, even with all the emotional excitement, the ordinary still needs to be done. Let me tell you where we've come. We have gotten so excited about all the sports channels that are out there. The reality is, unless it's our very favorite team that's playing, normally we hit and miss on what we watch. We be sure and, and catch SportsCenter so we can see the best plays. Because the best plays are exciting. You know why a lot of people don't like baseball? Because there's a lot of strategy to baseball. It takes time on where you hit the ball, who's going to run, where you're going to even throw the pitch where you're going to try to hit the ball. They all don't try to hit it, you know, over the fence. They've got their strategy to what they're doing. People don't want that. They want to see the home run. They want to see the diving catch. They want to see the great play. They don't want to sit there and go through 
all the strategy that takes place. Here's what's happened in the church. In the church, we want the exciting. In the church, man, we want to leave all pumped up. We want to leave, whether it's of the Lord or not, doesn't make any difference. We just want to leave pumped up. We need excitement. I got news for you. The ordinary worship ought to be exciting to you. Give you an example. We just went through the pandemic where our services were nowhere close to what they had been. But we got back to where we're running the buses again and people were coming. We were having regular services and all that. Each time we opened up something else, we got excited about it. A few months ago, just about three months ago, we started having the shake hand song again. And I don't know if you remember it, but that first shake hand song, when I announced we were having it that day and we sang, you could hear the talk. People were excited just to get to shake hands. What a blessing it was. That fellowship with believers. You see, for a lot of that stuff, I think part of the reason for the pandemic upon us could have been that God was tired of his people just taking everything for granted that they could do. Let me see if you get start hungering and thirsting for the things of God again and just the ordinary service from God, the ordinary visitation, the ordinary giving, the ordinary singing. But it's not really to be ordinary. If it's gotten ordinary in your heart, that's a problem with you. If we've got to try to build you up, rah, 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 you know, and to get you pumped up and going in your spiritual life, you got a major problem with your spiritual life. You need to get with God and get cleansed again. So we see him doing that which is right. The purpose of the delegating, notice in verse 2 was this. He says, in the middle of the verse, he says, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings, so for offering, to minister, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. By the way, that's the ministry today as well. Sacrifice, minister, or service, the giving of thanks, and the offering of praise to God. How important that is. You take this matter of giving. Now, although I tell folks, hey, it's been two years and, let's see, two years and about um, four months that we have not taken up an offering. But that doesn't mean we stop giving. As a matter of fact, Madison Baptist Church has been very faithful in giving during this time. Even when the pandemic was going strong and, and a number of people were kind of afraid to come out to services, they would still come by during the week and drop off their offerings or they would send them through snail mail uh, to get them here, but people still gave. And they gave in record amounts. Our missions went up the two years, 2020, 2021, were two record years for Madison Baptist Church in our giving to missions. I mean, this is a church that's known how to give. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, you take our evang- the evangelists that come in and preach to us for a week. The average probably, I haven't figured it out exactly for the last eight years, I guarantee you has been $10,000 each year for the evangelists that come in to preach. And we recognize at Madison Baptist Church, we recognize that a busy evangelist preaches 42 weeks out of the year, give or take a week which means they've got 10 weeks out of the year. They don't get anything. They get nothing. And not only that, they go to some churches that barely give them enough back to take care of their expenses to come. 
Madison Baptist Church makes up the difference of that. And, of course, Brother Harper, who has been with us a few times now, uh, he's a man. They take a month off and go to the foreign mission field, and they do that all on their own dime. Well, at Madison Baptist Church, we get to make a difference for those guys. I've heard of wicked pastors who felt like there was too much in the offering that an evangelist shouldn't get that much because he doesn't get as near as much as what was given for the, uh, for the evangelist. I say, hey, I want the blessings of God. Let's give them everything that comes in. And we make sure they get everything that comes in. I, I heard of one evangelist who went out, and they didn't have much, but they just took it when the offering was given, even though it was supposed to be going to them. Um, he put, they put all the money that they had on them. And when the uh, pastor at the end of the week uh, wrote him out a check, the check he wrote him out for was less than the amount that the evangelist had put in. Well, I got news for you. God's judgment would be on, on a pastor and a church like that. I mean, how wicked can you get? But at Madison Baptist Church, you give, thank the Lord. And the, in this particular place, there is a super abundance of giving on the part of God's people. The donations for the services in verses 4 through 19. Now, I'm not going to spend the time going through all of these verses and he says, notice in verse 4, Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portions of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. These people doing the work of God, uh, the giving to them would be an encouragement to them. After all, they're taking their time out to serve the Lord and their life out in serving the Lord. Under the law, they were responsible to be taken care of by the people. And so Hezekiah is commanding the people to come and give. It says in verse 5, And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the firstfruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. Now what's interesting about that here, 17 of the 21 verses that are in this chapter of the Scripture, 17 of them are about religious reforms and they mention giving. As a matter of fact, you'll find the word tithe several times during this section. Now, there are some groups out there uh, that don't believe that a pastor ought to be paid. Now, I'll tell you where they get that. Let's look at that for just a moment. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, let, let us put this in context. In chapters 8 through 10, the subject is about eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. In chapter 8, he basically tells them, if you're so spiritual, matter of fact, he even calls the Corinthians strong and calls himself weak. There's no doubt he's being sarcastic about that, for he's already called them carnal. He basically tells them at the end of chapter 8, if you're so spiritual, you ought to be able to do without eating meat offered sacrifice to idols for the sake of other believers. He even says in verse Ah, uh, let's see, in verse 12, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Then in chapter 9, he gives them three things that were perfectly right for him to do under the law that he did not do because he didn't want these Gentile Christians at Corinth 
to think that he was making gain out of them. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice his argument about that, if you go to verse 9 of chapter 9, uh, well, I guess we need to start a little sooner than that. Let me start in verse uh, 6. First, he talks about leading a wife. He didn't do that. He was not married. Uh, but Peter did, and that was okay, but he chose not to for a service for the Lord. He says in verse 7, Who goeth the warfare any time in his own charges? Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen, or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope, of, this, of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul, during his 18 months or his, uh, his, his time at Corinth, he would not take of an offering of these people because he felt that among them it might hinder the cause of Christ. So let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look beginning at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. He says, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Now, underline the next four words. He says, forgive me this wrong. You see, he didn't teach them to give to him. And he didn't do it. He had good motives for not doing it. He didn't want anybody to go around saying, well, Paul's just trying to get you people together so he can get your money. But he's saying here... Did I make you inferior to other churches? He said, only in this way. I didn't require it of you. I wasn't a burden to you. He said, forgive me this wrong. He should have taught them to take care of the preacher. I know of a church that had a pastor. who's a good man, good man. And um, it was up in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. He had worked, I think, for IBM and had retired from IBM. And so he had, he had, I don't know if he started the church, but he was pastoring the church up in the city there. And uh, because they were a small congregation, he just lived off his retirement. He didn't take any money from them. Well, he, in the middle of his service, he was out, matter of fact, making hospital visits. Uh, he had a massive heart attack while he was driving and drove straight into a bridge and he died. They called another pastor. And guess what? They didn't know how to take care of the pastor. He didn't teach them. I don't care how the poor the church is. They may not be able to fully support a pastor. Listen, I understand that. But they ought to be responsible 
for something. That's one of the dangers, by the way, of supporting a guy who's going out and starting a new church. Now, we support them because we realize if he doesn't have anybody, he doesn't have any money coming in, if he's going to have the time to start a new church, he shouldn't be taking a job that's going to require 40, 50 hours a week working. He needs to do that. But when we do that, like we just did that recently for a brother, uh, matter of fact, Brother Boyd, who's going down to north of Savannah to start a church, we voted to do that for two years because there comes a time when that church needs to be supporting him. It would be wrong for them not to learn to take care of their pastor. Now, obviously, I have no complaints. Madison Baptist Church is more than taking care of me over these years. Praise the Lord for you. I'm just simply saying, here they had a responsibility to take care of these people, uh, the priests and the Levites, and Hezekiah puts out the command. They go about, they do that very thing that they were supposed to do. And um, thank God they were obedient to that. It was in a super abundant way that they did it. Kind of reminds you of when the tabernacle was built and the people gave so much there in the book of Exodus that Moses had to go out and say, Stop! You've given too much! I don't know of a Baptist preacher anywhere that's ever said, You've given too much! We're not only not taking an offering, we're not going to take it if you bring it in. Wouldn't that be something? Anyway, let's move on. There's the blessings of giving that are seen in verses 8 and 10, the abundance of the giving in verse 10. Let's just go down to the last two verses. The distinctives of the supervisor. Notice this. And thus did Hezekiah, verse 20, thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Wow, what a man. Good and right and truth before the Lord his God. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hezekiah has decided to do right before God and truth before God, and he has led the people in truth and right And so they've responded, they've come through, verse 21, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, underline this part, he did it with all his heart. He did it with all his heart and prospered. Good, right, and in truth. The Bible declares in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with the perfect heart. You know, God takes notice when you do right, He also takes notice as to what your heart is when you do right. In other words, if your heart's not right, then guess what? Yours is not the heart he's looking for, even when you do right. He wants you to do right and with the right heart. This man did it with all his heart. 
Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 13, Scripture says, And it shall come to pass, if he shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 13, 3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. In Joshua 22, 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law. Which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. And to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him. And to serve him with all your heart. And with all your soul. This is an amazing king. He's not just wanting the blessings of God upon his reign. He's not just wanting the blessings of God upon his nation. He wants the blessings of God so much that he's willing to do something that no other king before him would do, that no other king after him would do. This is a man who served the Lord with all of his heart, whether it had to do with the house of God or the law and the commandments, it was with all his heart. Listen to these verses in Psalm 119, just Psalm 119. Verse 2, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Verse 7, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Verse 34, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. In verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Verse 69, he says, The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with all my heart. Verse 80, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. Verse 112, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Verse 145, I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. Verse 161, princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. With thy whole heart. When Jesus was asked the question, what is the great commandment? He gave a very clear answer from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. If you don't put God and his word first, you don't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for this amazing example of this king, Hezekiah. Had a father that did evil in the sight of the Lord. Had a son that did evil in the sight of the Lord. But he served you with his whole heart. If Hezekiah could do it, I believe we could do it too. God, please deal with our hearts. Those little things that we've allowed to stay in our lives, oh, they don't seem to be so gigantic compared to what everybody else is doing keeps us from having the walk with God we ought to have. May we seek you with our whole heart tonight.
And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.